For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill After, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcast and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to an irate episode of uh, HIC Talk Radio on Cinco de Mayo, which is why my friend here is not the man you usually see. He's a little different this week. Try not to do it too over the top. We don't want to get letters, Craig, but that's coming up in a second. Follow him at Craig Legans. I'm Dan at Taylor 83. Craig, let's uh, <laughs> not show as DJ says. Let's, uh, <laughs> that's great. So let's let's get let's get the irates out of the way because yeah. we're, we're gonna have two irate out of the way. Um, so this past week I, I decided to watch. I'm so glad I decided to start watching wrestling again this week because the first thing they did was bring back Ava Marie. Now, I don't have a problem with a- Ava Marie that other people do. Yes, she has trained. She wants to try. She yes. wants to be a wrestler. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to sit here uh, and judge. I, I have nothing to say negatively about that. I, nothing to say about her talents. Very happy. I'm looking forward to seeing what she she does. But you're telling me that we gave up Samoa Joe, the Iconics, Mickey James, mm-hmm. and several others, and then brought Ava Marie right back? How? Yeah, I I don't have an answer for that. Um, I know this was this was semi rhetorical, but you know when Ava and I like uh, many other wrestling fans now, Dan, because you know wrestling, the audience has dropped dramatically. So like most wrestling fans, uh, don't watch the pro- the actual product live. I get my news from other sources. So I didn't even know that Eva Marie was back until I saw her trending worldwide. And, of course, now when anyone whose name comes up trending worldwide because of the nature of our society, we automatically think she's dead. So I'm thinking, oh, my God, that's so horrible. What happened to Eva Marie? And no, it's just that she's back in the WWE, followed by a slew of venomous vitriol with her name associated with the exact same point that you just brought up. So we don't have money in the budget for these stellar 
all-worldly talents that they've criminally misused or just held back for whatever reason, Samoa Joe Iconics et al. But now you're bringing back someone who wasn't the biggest box office draw or someone that didn't really move the dial um, to begin with, and now she's got a spot. Um, and on, in an already crowded women's field that doesn't get, you know, the type of... I mean, Rhea Ripley is the the champion, one of the champions, uh, and maybe the single best prospect you have. If there is a female rock on this roster, it is Rhea Ripley, with all due respect to Charlotte Flair. Yeah. If you're going to put anyone in the mainstream uh, possibility of taking the company or herself to the next level, it's Rhea Ripley. She checks all the boxes, yet I haven't seen one match she's had since she's been champion, since, since, and WrestleMania seems like it was decades ago. And she's barely on TV, barely doing anything. But you bring back... Eva Marie. Again, just like I said, when you bring in Big Show to AEW, to do what? What? How is that going to? How is that helping your product? Um. But there's nothing we can do. It's not out of our hands. She's back for whatever reason, and we'll see what the WWE has in store for her. Or not explore. <laughs> not explore. It's very weird because, like, I do want to see what they do, but at the same time, after last week or the last mm-hmm. two weeks, it's like, and Danny, she returned Monday. It, it was yeah. it, there was just a video package. Which, if we learn anything from the last time, there was a bunch of video packages for Eva Marie. It could not. It still could not happen. Yes. Yeah. And uh, speaking of video packages, one of the people that they didn't let go, who I thought they would. Uh, now with his own video package, and after Alistair Black, uh, where he was once uh, maybe a Bray Wyatt or Undertaker type figure that they could have used, since he was from the dark side, he had that really cool entrance coming up, and a Hannibal Lecter, you know, backboard. But now he's wearing a suit, wearing glasses, and speaking from this unknown book of his. Um, again, stellar talent, someone that you could plug into the main event roster very easily. Uh, but, again, we Lord knows when that'll be, since we have to go through all these vignettes first. We still don't know if he's going to be a face or a heel, or if they're even playing that. Uh, but probably the most interesting thing that's happened this week, Dan, as far as our regular wrestling, was uh, the, and I don't know if you're going to talk about this, this was in your notes or not, uh, the loser must leave SmackDown Forever match. Between oh, that's right. And Daniel Bryan, which, uh, coincidentally, um, and I thought this was just, you know, the the, the the whole loser leaves town or loser leaves or loser must retire has lost its luster because they've beaten that horse to death for so long at so many different uh, angles, so it doesn't mean anything. I mean, I when I saw heard the, the stipulations, like, oh, it just means uh, he'll, he'll lose, so he'll never be on SmackDown again, uh, which means he'll show up on Raw on Monday. Ha, huh, loophole. See that? He was banned from SmackDown, but there he is on Raw. Uh, but, and, and predictably, Daniel Bryan lost. Great match between those two. They can't have a bad match together. But um, then I come to find out that Daniel Bryan's contract has expired in real life. Yeah. So, for the first time, and I don't know when, the WWE actually does have a method to its madness that 
Um, so now is Daniel Bryant long for uh, this world as as far as the WWE is concerned? See, I can't ever tell anymore because sometimes they'll work that into where they're negotiating the contract, they end up signing anyway, and they and they you know they just work us, which I'm fine with a good work if that's the case, that's great, but. We, you know how we feel about the ratings argument when it's barely for a million. Yeah. On the Wednesday Night Wars, which is now apparently over. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact of the matter is, you don't have one avenue to go to anymore for the first time since 2001. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we could argue that Impact was the thing, and for a while there, people could go there too, but kind of fell out of favor, and but they're working with AEW now, too. Yeah. So the point is, is with MLW being on Vice TV, uh, and that's a hell of a lot better pro, uh, product, in my opinion, than Impact is. I agree. You do have Ring of Honor still hanging in there for a little bit. Somewhere. And yeah. you got AEW. Uh-huh. Daniel Bryan is so, uh, as the wrestler, is so much bigger than WWE. And I, when I say that, I don't mean he's He's bigger than wrestling. I mean, he has done more. He's done a book's worth more in wrestling before he got to the WWE and still could. Right. So if he stays, I'll be happy if it's just part of the – if they work it out and he comes back. But at the same time, if he goes – I'm excited to see if this actually is a thing where he can go somewhere else. Right. I'm really interested to see where where that's going to go. Or um, if he just, you know, goes home, rides off in the sunset. I mean, he he honestly doesn't have to do anything else. He's uh, he's good as far as you know his post. It's the CM guys. Punk thing, man. Yes, yes. CM Punk does not have to work another day in his life. No. And when somebody says it, like, well, he's just going to sit at home. No, that means he doesn't have to do anything he doesn't want to do. do. Exactly. I mean, he's writing books. He's doing interviews. He did the UFC. And and just a little side note, whether Mm -hmm. he was good or not, he did something that a lot of us could not even try, which is make it to the UFC. Yeah. So settle down. Settle your tea kettle there. Um, So, yeah, if he stays home with the family, I mean, if I was married to I'm just saying, yeah. So I, I don't blame him. Yeah. But I do know, I don't know the man, of course, but I do know how much he loves wrestling. So yeah. I assume he's going to go somewhere or stay. Well, I assume he, he's still going to be in wrestling. Yeah, well, and he made a statement, Dan, about that, about, you know, because people are wondering where he, if he, when he would show up, uh, not if or when he would show up in AEW. But he said something very telling. I don't want to be part of bad TV. Yeah. And that's what wrestling is. Between AEW and the w- and Raw and SmackDown, you've got a ton of bad television. And he doesn't want to be a part of that. And if, if Punk shows up on AEW tonight, what guarantee is that, that the show will be good or that they'll put him with someone or, or do something that will be worth, worth it to watch? There's no guarantee of that. Look what AEW have done with not only the, the the talent that they have that they squandered, Jungle Boy, Adam Page, MJF, uh, the, the Nyla people, Rose, yeah, the the people they brought in, Sunny that, Kiss, that they've done nothing with. 
big show. And, well, let's have Sting um, involved with the main event. Yeah, and and or Sting or Miro or all these other people that came in hot from WWE. You know what makes me chuckle about the Miro thing? Mm-hmm. Is everybody was slamming the WWE that you did nothing with him. Yeah. I don't see a difference. That's just me. No. This is not a WWE apologist because I'll shit on Vince first chance I get. Yes. Which we're about to in a second for the biography. Yes, we are. But, yes, we'll no, it makes sense. I, as long as Daniel Bryan's happy, Daniel Bryan seems like a really good guy. Yeah. Seems like a really good guy. His beliefs are uh, not our – our beliefs don't always align, but that's – you know, it's not important. Mm-hmm. As long as he's happy. Yeah. He's got two kids now. Go home, take a, take some time off. Yeah. Rest that neck. Uh-huh. Speaking of uh, crapping on WWE. Yes. Uh, once a week they've been running, and I and I haven't been able to bring myself to watch a lot of the Macho Man one, which we'll get to in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, WWE and A&E uh, has a little thing going where they're producing updated or brand new biographies of wrestlers. A&E Biography presents... First one was Steve Austin. Second one was Roddy Piper. Last week was Macho Man. Yeah. Let's just call this the way it is. I'll start it off by this. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of people saying that the Piper one was a puff piece. And while a lot of it was kind of sidestepped, they did kind of imply Piper was the reason he was fired. Uh, It wasn't. And... You know, he was kind of just doing other things at the end. They kind of took a little swipe at him at the end. Yeah. The Austin one's a puff piece, and I love Steve Austin. Mm-hmm. But they ignored a couple of things that yeah. happened. Yeah, because every once in a while, you, you know, you get, get excited by A&E doing a biography on uh, these you well-known wrestlers. Um, but you have to understand that this is a WWE biography. This yeah, yeah, it's still produced by WWE, folks. So you're going to get a lot of – so you're expecting accuracy, forget it. You're expecting uh, facts or, you know, stuff to, to line up, um, forget it. Yeah. Um, they, they conveniently left out the little issue that Mr. Austin had mm-hmm. uh, with his wife in the court. And, yeah. Well, he hit his wife. He hit Deborah. Yeah, there I said it, mm-hmm. and like I said, that was puff piece. Yeah, uh, Macho Man one, not a puff piece. Uh, uh, the uh, the Roddy Piper one. Oh, uh, go ahead. If that was, uh, I mean, I what I loved was the uh, the Olympic Auditorium stuff, the yeah. the stuff he did in Los Angeles, because I thought that stuff was gone forever. So somebody <laughs> not. Them, had master tapes because I couldn't find them on YouTube anyway. Piper stuff in in California in Los Angeles was what made that's when I first I heard of him when he was fighting uh, Chavo Senior and yeah. his bouts with him were and the fact that that's the first time I heard him tell the story because I only read about it up until was, this episode I had not seen one it was all legend to me and I'm like wow they actually got pictures and footage of it yeah and wow. uh, because this is and this is between Chavo's Ascendance because he started a few with uh, with Piper, which put Piper on the map, but then went right from uh, Piper to Ernie Ladd, Chavo Guerrero and Ernie Ladd, which was another huge program 
for them, but um, which also doesn't exist outside of uh, the magazines. But when Piper told the story about you know him playing the Mexican national anthem, uh, I had only read about that and um, hearing him tell the story. Uh, for those of you who don't know, he, Piper was the number one heel in Los Angeles, and he was in a feud with the uh, Guerreros. And back when you can say whatever you want about your opponent, including their ethnicity and their background and all that, to get heat, Piper, of course, took you know took very good you know care to do that. Uh, so in this one particular fight, before he was going to wrestle against uh, Chavo, he told the crowd that he was going to play the Mexican national anthem. Uh, before uh, the bout to uh, to pay respect to all the the Mexican audience and to all to all the Mexican fans, and the crowd went quiet, which he surprised him because he was a heel. So he was, was going to play. I just like that he's like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. One, the crowd two, three. three. <laughs> and he started the he started playing the bagpipes. <laughs> He started playing the cucaracha on the bagpipes as the Mexican national anthem. What an asshole! And of course, the um, <laughs> the ring yeah. filled up with chairs and debris, and Piper said even chairs that were bolted down were thrown into the ring uh, because of the amount of anger that uh, the folks had for him. Uh, but again, that's what that's what put Piper on the map, Ooh. and what with the stuff that they glossed over, they made it seem like he went from. Los Angeles and to Portland, but then he got a job at Georgia Championship Wrestling, and they showed all the Mid Atlantic stuff with him and Flair. Never mentioned Jim Crockett by name. No, which I found incredibly that was dis- odd, wasn't it? Incredibly disrespectful. Um, but they made it seem like Georgia and and Mid Atlantic were one gigantic territory. He got the job commentating on Georgia Championship Wrestling because of his fight. His his in the Mid-Atlantic. He came in as a heel. He was the first wrestler to turn Ric Flair babyface. That's how hated Roddy Piper was to make the number one heel in the Mid-Atlantic area, Ric Flair, the same Ric Flair that ground Ricky Steamboat's face into the concrete, discolored it, and caused lots of hate mail and people coming after him with razor blades. Roddy Piper was so hated to turn Ric Flair face, and when Piper filled in for for commentary with Bob with Bob Caudle, that's what got him uh, the Georgia Championship Wrestling gig. So he was in both territories at the same time. He was a Mid Atlantic Heavyweight Champion while he was doing color commentary with Gordon Soley in Georgia Championship Wrestling. And that whole period from 1981 to 1983 is what got him the gig in WWF. I did not know that he invented the dog collar match, supposedly. He did not. Okay, that's what I match. that's why I said it the way I did because I'm like, is that, I don't think. No, again, this uh. is w, this is WWE's revisionist history, and, I, and we can, if we talk about the Macho Man's one, I'll I'll, I'll give you a yeah. Go right into it whenever you're ready. I'll let you t- I'll okay. let you take well, the rest of the Well, I'll, Junkyard Dog and Michael Hayes had the dog, when Dog was blinded by Michael Hayes and couldn't see his um. Who couldn't see his baby girl because the free birth had blinded him. He challenged him to a dog collar match because Junkyard Dog came to the ring with a dog collar around his neck. Well, for the first time ever to get his revenge on Michael Hayes, who blinded him, somebody else was going to be attached to the other end, and that was Michael Hayes in the Superdome, January of 1980, 26,000 people. So this was three years 
before the first quote unquote dog collar match. Yeah, I was. I remember watching that and looking over and going, "Eh." "No, I don't know about that one." No, just like in with the Randy with the so the big thing they 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 left out of the Roddy Piper story was his time in the Mid Atlantic area, three years there where he became uh, we first seen on national TV. Uh, on cable on the superstation, and that's what got him uh, the WWF gig. Um, and in the, with uh, and how we, Roddy Piper said he was the first guy to bring the dog collar match with the Randy Savage bio. They made it seem like Elizabeth was the first female manager there ever was in professional oh, no. wrestling. Yes, well, you know, no one had ever seen you know you know a woman who would ever have their wife be there. You know, oh my god. That's his, his groundbreaking in 1984, even though it had been done before. Um, but yeah, they made it seem like that. And the other thing that uh, I and I love Jerry Lawler probably more than <laughs> any, but his memory is so askew sometimes. When I talked about Randy Savage uh, leaving uh, to go to the WCW, and he said. Uh, they told uh, the way they found out. Hey Vince, look at the TV, and there's Randy. That's not uh, that. Would, that's what happened with Luger. Okay. Yeah. Savage uh, had already made it, it. Told you know Vince what was happening, and because he wasn't yeah. there, that's when Vince made the announcement yeah. that um, we're. Uh, <laughs> they just like to tell, yeah. you know people can look this up, right? Yes. <laughs> but uh, yeah. But uh, they made it seem like yeah. Oh, and, and Lawler was already doing commentary at the time when uh, Vince told him to. It's not like he's like, oh, well, we can't do it. Randy Savage is gone, so Jerry, you'll have to step in. Jerry was already doing it, and he was already, and he was he read he was and Jerry Lawler was still wrestling then too. So again, the WWE revisionist history. Here's my problem. Yeah. Past all that. Uh huh. Can you get Hulk Hogan off the TV, Why? please? And Not off. That's no. bad. Don't do that on camera because uh-huh. that brings it a little. But with with Piper, I could see because obviously sure. you can't talk about Roddy Piper without Hulk Hogan and hmm. the first WrestleMania and all that sure. stuff. I don't understand that when you see it, you'll you'll hopefully you'll you'll agree. You see what I see. I Why? saw I saw certain clips. But why why Hulk Hogan was so prominent in a Randy Savage bio? Okay, they have very, you know, and Here, here's my first here's my first uh, acknowledgement of this. My first uh-huh. analysis. I was dying laughing watching Hogan with his bleached blonde roots <laughs> and his bleached blonde goatee or handlebar mustache. Talk about how out of touch Macho was at a, at an old age at the end of his life. Trying to hang on, going. <laughs> what are you talking about? You are one in the same, dude. Yeah. And also, like, how are we still not making? How is any word he says not suspect at this point? Well, you know, there's so much, you know, and when anytime Hogan says anything, it's just it has to be suspect, just because. Of the again the revisionist history that he has or had the way he remembers it, I I have no doubt that he and Piper talked towards the end of sure. Piper's life, but I really doubt 
that Piper agreed with Hogan, if you just let me pin you, Piper, that we could have made so much more money because that wasn't happening under any circumstances. Because I'm sure Piper asked Hogan, uh, well, why don't you, if you let me pin you, you can get the title back. Uh, but neither one would lay down for the other. But Hogan thought that Piper didn't do business. If Piper had done business... Again, the irony of Hulk Hogan talking about somebody not wanting to do business the right way. Yeah. Hurt my brain. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Wow, Hulk. Glass houses and all, Walker boy. But when you look at the Randy, yeah, that that was one thing, and, and I, I and I let it go because obviously Piper and Hogan have a whole. But I've heard more Piper's side, which I more tend to believe uh, Piper's because he's. I have no choice but to let it go. I can't tag him; he's blocked me years ago. <laughs> but Piper's made no secret of the fact because he was doing interviews way before Hogan was about that situation, and yeah. you know, even it's like, man, where are you? If you're making this much money and he's making that much money, are you going to lay? Are you going to lay down for him, or is he going to lay down for you? It's like, no. And but Piper understood he wasn't going to, you know, he wasn't going to do a job for Hogan. Hogan wasn't going to do a job for him. So I, I, so the the phone call that they talked about, that hey, Rod, if you, you know, if you had just, you know, laid down, we could have made a ton of money and. The way Hogan said, it, yeah, Piper's like, yeah, I guess you're right. And the like, guy, I don't think Piper would ever have said that. I think Piper would have said to Hogan, you know, if you would lay down and I could give a screw job finish and you can have regain it at the first WrestleMania instead of, you know, forget Madison Square Garden. They could have sold that Yankee Stadium if that had happened. But uh, when you look at the the Randy Savage one, um, which was all over the place. Uh, I enjoyed it only because of the early. Again, I'm because I'm very old fans. You can't see from the mask from the very the deep. You don't look line. old with the mask off, sir. Stop it. <laughs> but the old ICW International Championship Wrestling footage that I thought was lost. That apparently uh, Lanny uh, Paso, Randy's brother, his father, still had master tapes of because stuff I hadn't seen uh, before of early, early Randy Savage, um, uh, late seventies. Savage was the stuff I enjoyed the most, but it was all over the place because they talked to everyone, uh, and people that had absolutely n- had never met Randy. Uh, and again, I and the people that I do want, I did want to hear from Ricky Steamboat. Um, I I didn't hear enough from Ted DiBiase, but they they talked to Hurricane, they talked to Natalia. Who I, to the best of my knowledge, ne- if she met Randy, she was a little girl. But her father Jim, Jim and uh, Nightheart and Randy were friends. But they talked to Natalia, Hurricane Helms, um, two other guys. One guy was an actor, uh, Eric Bischoff's wife. Uh, what? And because she and, and she and Elizabeth were friends, and it, then it became the Elizabeth Hour. Then the second hour was all about Elizabeth and their marriage, and it turned into like I already saw this. On Dark Side of the Ring, like the episode two, they went in the whole Randy Savage, uh, uh, Miss Elizabeth uh, marriage made in heaven. Go ahead. It's it's just to the point where um, this is not a straight up documentary, and nothing that the WWE produces ever is. It isn't. No. You know, I, I know certain things are off when they put it in the DVD. I'm like, that. That's yeah. not. What happened? <laughs> and it's kind of the same thing here. The only one I wasn't sure of really was the uh, the dog collar thing. Yeah, uh, Junkyard Dog yeah. had the uh, first... Uh, yeah, 
Good job, WWE. But yeah, no, I, I that was what was bothering me was that I, I, I need Hogan off the fucking yeah. screen immediately, especially about Macho Man. Yeah, and and with the Macho Man, it was Hogan and Bubba the Love Sponge. I never oh, saw yeah, this, great. this set up before in my life, but now he's all over the Randy Savage biography. Why? You know whose wife that Hulk Hogan's having sex with on tape? Yeah. That's his wife. It's Bubba no, wife. Which is even more surprising. I know. Talking, they sued each other. Why are you on talking about Randy Savage? No, I know. I know. It makes no sense, but yeah, that's a, but that's the thing that got me about the Savage. It was like they talked to so many people, um, and did, it was all over the place. And the people that I wanted to hear from, namely Randy Savage, Ted DiBiase, I didn't hear from enough, but I heard enough from Eric Bischoff's wife, from Bubba the Love Sponge, from this guy named Dan Soder, who's an actor. Oh, Dan, why is yeah. he there? He doesn't. He doesn't. Imp- he does a spot on Macho Man re- impression. Which is great, but um, why did that uh, have to be part of the biography? Money what, Danny? Yeah. Um, I yeah no I I think I might skip it. I I don't. I, I don't just watch it just for just for your edification. If you're a fan of, of Randy Savage, then definitely watch it. But I actually I haven't because like I know the the Hogan stuff because I've seen the clips that people posted. Uh-huh. I know as soon as I watch it, I'm going to start wanting to throw things around my living room, and I like my living room. Yeah. So the uh, the 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 best part for me, uh, the Randy Savage was the last. I never got to see him, but right before he died, I I had forgotten that he had married his high school sweetheart. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They were. And, uh, yeah, I but I did end the, the whole white beard Savage. That's the you know. The, the Danny, what, savage. what money are, is being made from a biography? They're not making the only people making money off of this is the WWE. They're not getting paid for interviews. Yeah. Um, it's a produced thing. They're not. I don't think. Do you get even a stipend? You get a hundred. You get the hundred dollars in a T-shirt thing. Yeah, and, and I'll think that uh, money is a motivating factor to talk about Randy Savage. If you're a Dan Soder, I, I remember the last time I saw Macho before he died was they the, like I guess him and the WWE started talking to him because they got yeah. together and released that action uh, figure, and the yeah. reveal was you know the, there was a little trailer about the. The, the new figures coming out, and it went to the old-school WWE logo, and this was at Comic-Con or something, I think. Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden, you think the video's over because you see the logo and the sound dies, and then all of a sudden you hear, ooh, yeah. And then yeah. old Macho okay. standing there with the great beard and everything white beard, yeah. but just white, everything's white, and he cuts up. He, he, he does Macho Man. Yeah. He does a promo about his figure. He's holding the figure, and then within that same year, he's dead. And I think he was dead before his tree. The car even hit the tree. Yeah, yeah, he had a heart attack. Was his wife on the show at least? No. Mm -hmm. Eric Bischoff's wife was. Wife was, but uh, no. They they talked to his mom. Of course, they talked to Lanny, and you you really got an an idea. Lanny will tow the party line too. But you really got an idea of what. The, the the weird relationship they had because it's like I, I I never went to my brother for advice I never you know he never he never came to me for advice unless you know 
like we we never like he had it almost like he had no idea what was going on in this. And I know they weren't close, and like a lot of brothers, you know, they're not close. But it's like, no, he he never came to me for advice about anything, and we never talked about it. Is this? I was like, okay, thank you, thanks for coming, then goodbye. Yeah, thank you, leaping landing genius. Uh, yeah, welcome back, gentlemen and ladies. Uh, Mary Cinco de Mayo. Uh, I am here in my uh, celebrating uh, this. Day, the fifth day of May, uh, Revenge of the Fifth, uh, wearing the uh, my official wrestling mask that I got at the old ECW arena, and uh, right next to an official Tiger mask. Mask. Uh, this, these are the flag, the Puerto Rican flag here. Of, uh, Does it still smell like twenty three hundred? Yeah, like uh, piss and drugs. Yeah. Uh, no. No. Oh, all no. right. Thankfully, it's been defumigated, but yeah, this is from the uh, El Medico mask. Viva La Raza. And I am wearing the original Eddie shirt uh, made famous by um, my time in the ECW arena. That's what was my nickname was Eddie shirt because this is what I wore and I thought people knew me. But I digest. I'm, I'm talking about history, but I want to talk about the history of professional wrestling. This is why we're here um, at a time when there was wrestling all together. In all, all 50 states, I'm trying to, very hard, to get my act together. But back then, wrestling had its act together uh, in, in big-time uh, arenas, stadiums, coliseums, outdoor arenas all over the country, wrestling in all 50 states. No social distancing uh, was needed. Um, you can have five different shows in five different parts of the country because that's how on fire wrestling was. Uh, wrestling, not sports entertainment. This is the wrestling historian, so I'm here to talk about the week in professional wrestling. Got to go back. Uh, we, we missed a show last week because we were uh, nerd herding, but I cannot go uh, a wrestling historian without talking about maybe the most significant date well, one of the most significant days in professional wrestling history uh, that happened uh, 44 years ago um, last week, uh, April 30th, 1977, Baltimore, Maryland. Bruno Sammartino, the GOAT, the greatest wrestling champion of all time, uh, combined 11 and a half years as champion, had lost the Worldwide Wrestling Federation title for the final time to superstar Billy Graham. Uh, Superstar Billy Graham became the first heel uh, WWF heavyweight champion of any significance and uh, still the most influential wrestler of his generation. Uh, Now, uh, bad guy champions are commonplace. You see it all the time, but uh, flamboyant heels weren't world champions. They were your top money draw heels, like your Ernie Ladds or your Ivan Koloffs. But Billy Graham was not only a top drawing heel, but he became the world heavyweight champion. And that's what set a precedent that has so far tried to be matched by so many other wrestlers. The first wrestler to tear off his shirt when he came in the ring? Superstar. The first wrestler to refer to his arms as pythons? Superstar. The first wrestler to come in wearing feather boas, superstar. First wrestler to even cup his ear to the crowd, superstar. See, Hulk Hogan was all original, man. Yeah, yeah. 
Hulk Hogan, Jesse Ventura, Austin Idol, all the way up to Scott Steiner. None of them. And, 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 and to those who are not familiar with Superstar Billy Graham, Superstar Billy Graham wasn't a nobody that Hogan could take off of and people not know what he was doing. Superstar Billy Graham was big. Yes. As wrestling, when as far as wrestlers and wrestling fans go. So it wasn't like, you know, oh, he wrestled in a couple territories, nobody ever heard of him. Superstar Billy Graham was the man for a long time. Superstar Billy Graham, outside of Ernie Ladd, was the number one money-drawing heel in the United States. You put Superstar Billy Graham on your crowd, uh, in your on your card, in your territory, he's a main in event In your guy. crowd. You put him in the crowd, yeah, too. Yeah, put him in the crowd, he'll stand out. What super what Superstar did after Bruno Sammartino was selling out major arenas, uh, after he regained the title in 1971, he sold out every major arena in the Northeast for the next three and a half years from March of uh, from December of 73 to April 30th, 1977. What Superstar Billy Graham did after defeating Bruno Sammartino was sell out those same arenas that Bruno did. In every single arena in the, on the East Coast, insane. did the exact same thing Bruno was doing, without missing a beat. So that every arena, Madison Square Garden, Capital Center, Landover, Maryland, here in Philadelphia, the Spectrum, Pittsburgh, the whole right, even in St. Louis, the NWA stronghold, he sold out the Key Auditorium. Which for a while there was the only way the Cap Center could be sold, we could be sold out was when wrestling came to town. It was Bruno. Sorry. But the, the fact that the most popular wrestler in the history of the company left, lost, and the most hated wrestler came right in, and they didn't lose any business. If anything, it drew more business because people just wanted to see Superstar get beat. And it didn't matter. Yeah, and it didn't matter who he wrestled. Superstar sold out the Spectrum, 18,970 people. This is Superstar defend the world title against Tony Gurria. Okay. Tony Gurria. Who cares? And that's, and that's not a that's not a knock on on Gurria. It's because they wanted to see Superstar get what's coming to him. I watched him. I I was there in eighteen thousand sold out the Spectrum see Superstar against Larry Zabisco. Okay, uh, that was a draw of Superstar, and uh, that's why I bring up this date because Superstar was the most influential wrestler of his generation. Like I said. All the people that we talked about, Dan and I mentioned, Hogan, Vin, Ho, Jesse Ventura, Austin Idol, Scott, all the way up to Scott Steiner, all stole from Superstar Billy. Not copied, not mimicked, stole. The Feather Boas, Jesse Ventura, or stole from Billy Graham. Said that in this Hall of Fame speech. Hulk Hogan, the, referring to his arms as pythons, cupping his ear, ripping off his shirt, stole from Superstar. And one could argue that well, Hogan made more money off it. And I'm like, well, for the time, maybe. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the stadium that um, Superstar was selling out uh, during that time, and you just for inflation, Superstar was making as much, if not more, than Hogan was during that time. Hogan, to his credit, though, was going worldwide and doing it for a longer period of time. What made Superstar uh, such an uh, an outlier, and even the name of his DVD was called 25 Years Too Soon, yeah. was because he was only champion for 10 months. Uh, because back then you had a start date and an end date. And they told him, because Bruno at this point was done, and he said, I, 
really can't do it anymore, guys. I need some time off. Superstar uh, came in and didn't lose, you know, didn't skip a beat. Uh, but they told him, when we put the belt on you, uh, you're going to win on this date and you're going to lose it on that date because they already had uh, Bob Backlund waiting in the wings because Bruno uh, had been champion and just like Pedro had been, Pedro Morales had been champion before that. And while they drew uh, tremendous houses and sell out crowds, there was lots of riots uh, because of the ethnic champions you had. You had a strong Latino base in, in um, New York, uh, in Madison Square Garden, where Pedro wrestled. Uh, and they didn't like it when Pedro got beat up, even though Pedro won, didn't like it. So much so that Blackjack Mulligan got stabbed uh, following his match with uh, Pedro Morales. Same thing with Bruno. Um, and I've documented this on this uh, very podcast many times, how uh, the Italians didn't like it when Bruno got the uh, – didn't get a, the, the long end of the stick. So Vince McMahon Sr. Uh, didn't want to have any more ethnic champions or wanted to take a break from it. So he talked to his good friend Eddie Graham uh, because they were doing a talent swap. Uh, that's how Dusty got to wrestle superstar in Greg Garden because Dusty was Eddie Graham's top draw in Florida, and they did a talent swap, and other wrestlers from Florida came up to um, – the WWF, uh, Steve Kern, Kevin Sullivan, and a kid named Bob Backlund. And one of the things that Vince McMahon Sr. was enamored was of was um, Jack Briscoe. He wanted his own Jack Briscoe. He saw Jack Briscoe selling out crowds in the NWA, which is a bigger territory than the WWF, you know, from Oklahoma, NCAA college champion, uh, I want a guy like that, All-American kid. Eddie Graham said, oh, got Steve Kern. You want All-American? Steve Kern. His dad was a POW twice. Uh, great amateur background, and he's great on the mic. Vince said, yeah, I like that kid Backlund, though. He's a former NCAA heavyweight champion, just like Jack Briscoe was. So I like that college background. Thing is, back when we shit on the mic, great body, great work, <laughs> and at, he still is, and, and nothing has changed. <laughs> um, and they made a bet, Eddie Graham and Vince McMahon, that I bet you, Vince said, I bet you I can make money with Bob. And Eddie still wanted Steve Kern. He said, okay, I'll take that bet. Um, they brought Bob up. They told him in a year we're going to grow, and you're going to get the belt from Superstar, and you're going to we're going to bill you as the All American Boy. No more ethnic champions. You're going to be your my Jack Briscoe. Bob, you, Bob, my number one guy. Uh, 1989, Jack Nicholson, Batman. Folks, for those of you listening at home. And uh, Vince McMahon won the bet. Uh, he did make money with Bob Backlund, even though he used a lot of help. He used Bruno a couple times. Hey, whatever. Greg Andre, Dusty. But, yeah, so the uh, – and he paid the – Eddie Graham paid the bet, which was $1. <laughs> he bet a dollar? Yep. Jesus. But now I'm looking at Steve Kern, man. That guy could have been the WWF heavyweight champion. Hey, we got Bob Backlund. And then yes. years later, he uh, jobbed in eight seconds to Kevin Nash. I'm yes. sorry, Diesel. And I honestly couldn't – yeah, and I honestly couldn't see – if the worlds were reversed, Dan, I honestly couldn't see uh, Bob Backlund and Stan Lane as the fabulous ones. 
No, 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 no. Couldn't see Bob in a Speedo. No, everything ha- oh. <laughs> everything, everything happens, happens for, for a reason. reason. And you saying <laughs> that, I guess, happened for a reason. Uh, so that was April 30th. Uh, I had to go back because I wanted to recognize that date. Superstar Billy Graham and the reign of Bruno San Martino, April 30th, 1977, Baltimore, Maryland. It's good stuff. Uh, May 2nd, um, happy belated birthday uh, to one Dewey Johnson. Uh, you might know him as Dwayne, uh, star of Young Rock. And speaking of revisionist history, if you're watching Young Rock to <laughs> find out more about oh, Dwayne no. Johnson's upbringing and wrestling business, you're better off. It's, the WWE biographies are more historically accurate than, than Young Rock is. Yeah, WWE biography just because certain <laughs> things and has Hogan lying his ass off. This show? Young Rock is. Let's take all the wrestlers that, that casual fans will know. We'll, we'll tell them they were all in Hawaii yeah. at the same time in 1984. You know what? I, I'm okay with it because it's for the casual fans. It's not for... I mean, uh, sure, you and I are going to watch because we watch wrestling all our life, but it's for, you know, Timmy and his grandmom who are watching it, uh, you know, because they eat, watch TV together at 8 o'clock I, or whatever. I remember Iron Sheik. Yeah. Well, I, I Iron Sheik. Yeah, I remember Macho Man. Holy shit. <laughs> Even though Iron Sheik, the guy, the actor playing Iron Sheik, never looked, Iron Sheik never looked that good on on his best day when he was in Olympic. I was going to say, even, even all his WWE <laughs> run, I don't think he could walk. When he was an Olympic athlete, he never looked as good as the the actor playing the Iron Sheik. Right. Boy, right I'll tell now. you what, though, Iron Sheik was built like a brick shit house. Cosmo, when you, go, when you yeah. go back to the footage when he's doing the um, what were the, uh, the the Persian clubs? The Persian clubs, yeah. When he's doing that, you got to do that behind your back, and he's doing these reps, and the dude, sure, he's 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 stocky, but he's yeah. he, he is. It's not barrel chested. He's the barrel. Yes. <laughs> and by the time he gets down to the ring, it'll be WrestleMania 38. One of my yeah. favorite lines ever by Bobby Heenan. Uh, so viewers of Young Rock who don't know any better, at no time in, in the history of time and space and reality were Iron Sheik, Randy Savage, Junkyard Dog, Andre the Giant ever in Hawaii at the same time in 1982. Didn't happen. Uh, good show nonetheless, but happy belated 49th birthday to The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. Uh, no, you've May, ruined it for me. I'm not <laughs> May, May 2nd. Uh, May the... F- no, you know what? Sorry, looking at my notes here. Sorry, starting beyond professional uh, of me. Um, yes, we're very professional here on twitch.tv slash Uh May 3rd, 1988 was a landmark uh, date for two wrestlers that uh, were always going to be intertwined. Uh, when... Uh, one of their AE when one of when AE does a biography and one of these guys they're going to mention his name prominently because he can't mention one without the other. But May third, nineteen eighty eight, in a house show in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, uh, the opening match was Adam Copeland defeating Christian Cage, and that was the first match for both of those men. It wasn't Sexton Hardcastle. It was not Sexton Hardcastle. <laughs> But it was the first WWF match for both of them. Adam Copeland defeated Christian Cage, May third, nineteen ninety-eight. Sexton Hardcastle. How do you get around to that? It's a great name. What was uh, the other name he came up with that never was used? There's another one that Kelly and I always bring up that makes me laugh. I can't remember. Go ahead. 
I can't I'll, remember. I'll look it up. Go ahead. Do the next thing. I'll look it up. May the 4th, 1994, uh, that we, I mentioned the beginning of the careers of Adam Copeland and, and Christian Cage, but May 4th, 1994, was the end of a career. In the wrestling Don Taku 94 show uh, in the Tokyo Dome, 53,000 folks uh, there, uh, the WCW International title um, took place when Rick Rude defeated Sting, and that was the... You son of a bitch, Rick. The last match in the career of Rick Rude. Uh, yeah, it's it, it, Rick. First of all, I don't. They don't get talked enough about, but Rick Rude and Sting had great matches. Yeah, they did. And I, and I think it's only a series of three, maybe four. Mm-hmm. You know, like two of them on like TV, and then you got that match, and then the one that everybody else talks about, which is the Spring Stampede match '94. Yeah, Spring Stampede '94. It's all here, baby. Um, <laughs> Those guys were fantastic. Because you don't think Sting's the guy in the like I don't I'm a Sting Mark, but Sting yeah. was the guy that took the beating for half an hour mm-hmm. and then did the he was Hogan a little bit. Yeah. Got beat up, did the Stinger come back, won. But every now and then he you know, we talk about the Broadway against Rick or the great match at Ch- Clash with Muda. Uh Sting and DDP had met. So every now and then, Sting would hit magic with somebody else, and yeah. Rick Rude was one of them. And it's some of my fondest memories, except for this one moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was just and it, it 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 was just the way that the ring was set up on a stage, which is just you're begging for an injury right there, and it just happened to be Rick it was just bad timing. And but Rick Rude is you know, and as much as I poo poo the A and E biographies, I also watch them. What uh, the yeah, only problem? One of the problems I have is they uh, they they'll do the most popular ones, but the the biographies I really want to hear or really want to see are the ones that maybe aren't household names. Like I'd love to see a Ricky Steamboat A and E biography type. Why is there not a Rick Rude one? Because he's or or even a Rick Rude. I was that's what I was going to say. I was say Ricky Steamboat, Rick Rude, because you want to talk about the guys that made their mark in the territories. You know, I mentioned one of the hallmarks of the wrestling historians that talk about the territories. The territories, what made them so vital to professional wrestling as a whole, because that's where you got good. There was no NXT back then. There was no indie shows. You went from territory to territory. And Rick Rude is a living embodiment of what territories can do. And what I liked about Steve Austin, because he started his career in the very last dying days of the territory. He started in Memphis and then went to Texas and then from world class to WCW to ECW stop and then to the WWE. So every – but the the point was every territory he went, he got better. Rick Rude started the same time with – he came out with the Road Warriors and Crusher Khrushchev. They were all Minnesota – uh, came out, wrestled, this, broke in the same year. Had Ed Sharkey not misplaced Animal's number, Rick Rude was going to be the other part of the Road Warriors. Because when Matt Bourne messed up and blew a shot with, it was supposed to be Matt Bourne and Arn Anderson. Were, Rick David ends in Y. Yeah. We're going to be the national tag team champions in the next pushed national tag team period. Uh, so when Matt Bourne got doing got caught doing something he shouldn't, 
he was out, and Ole Anderson needed a tag team within in two weeks. Went back to Minnesota, asked Ed Sharkey for a member. Of the, was that guy because Adam had already wrestled on Georgia Championship Wrestling prior to that, and Hawk had been wrestling in Canada for Stampede as Skull Von Crush, I believe. But um, he asked for those two guys, and he said, "Well, I don't have uh, um, any." Rick Rude was already there, but he called up. Uh, uh, Hawk instead, but the original the Road Warriors could have been Animal and Rick Rude, but yeah. Rick Rude made his way anyway, in starting in in uh, Mid South under his, his actual name Rudd R O O D, and in the world class job guy getting his ass beat by Kamala, you know, and just like a rag doll in 1983. Even when they put the camera on him, he could barely smile because he was so nervous to be on camera. He didn't know what to do. From there, he went to Memphis, and Jerry Lawler decided to change his name to Rude, and Jimmy Hart was his manager, so he didn't have to do all the talking, and he was a Southern Heavyweight Champion, teamed up with King Kong Bundy. From there, from Memphis, he went to Florida, where I saw him. Um, he was a Southern Heavyweight Champion, and that's where he hooked up with Percy Pringle, another manager that could do all the talking for him, and he was a, he was a Southern Heavyweight Champion. From there, he went to World Class, took Percy with him. Matched up against Yvonne Eriks, against Chris Adams, Jimmy Garvin, more experience. From there, went to the WCW, the NWA for the first time. Again with Paul Jones. He and Manny Fernandez became NWA Tag Team Champions. Got to learn the business in and out with Dusty Rhodes. Won the NWA Tag Team Championship, never lost it because the WWF offered him a contract, which he never had with the NWA. He goes to the WWF, Intercontinental Champion, main event against the Ultimate Warrior. Hogan's too scared to wrestle him. Um, and he's a main event guy national on national TV. Saturday night's main event. WrestleMania's in front of 65,000 people. The progression. And so by the time Rick Rude comes back to WCW, you know, in Steve Austin's words, he's a made guy. When, I was, when Austin was in Dangerous Alliance with him, with him he stayed out of Rick Rude's way. You know, cause he, and it wasn't until Steve Austin had Paul Lee on his podcast that he asked him straight out, did Rick Rude like me? I couldn't tell. And Paul Lee's like, yeah. He said, all right, because he was a made guy. And, you know, and I know I got on his nerves that Carsey told the story about how Austin would always curse and Rude, Rick Rude, who was no saint. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> always, always saw the Ten Commandments as more of a suggestion. But. So glad I didn't drink this. Didn't abide cursing. And always didn't like the fact that that Austin was always cursing and they were driving. It was Austin was driving and Paulie was on the passenger side. Rude was in the back and Austin kept cursing. And Rude just said, Steve, curse one more time, man. I ask you to pull this car over because I'm sick of hearing it. He goes, all right, Rick. Yeah. But God damn well, it, man. I'm just trying to think. God damn it, man. Fucking hell, Rick. I'm sorry. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, but uh, but Paulie said yeah. He but by the time Rude came back to WCW for that last run, uh, he was a made man. But the territories or what made Rick Rude, what superstar Billy Graham was, and I said at the top of the historian, the top money making heel in any territory. Rick Rude was a main event guy, not just because he had the body like Superstar did. But because the heat he got like Superstar. Now, he didn't have Superstar Graham heat, but because he was wise enough to choose a manager everywhere he went, Jimmy Hart, 
Percy, Paul Jones, Paul Heyman. Uh, Rick Rude was always over, and Rick Rude was money. That's an A&E biography I need to see. I, I've seen the, the Machos, the Roddy Pipers, you know, they've got, they have uh, Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart and Mick Foley coming up, but the Ricky Steamboats, the Rick Rudes, you know, the, the, the guys that made their way but just didn't have it all the way. The, yeah, a Junkyard Dog bio I'd love to, to, to hear, to see, to hear. Um, those are the, the, the stories I want to be told. I know about the big guys, but anyway, Rick, uh, May the 4th be with you. Uh, was the end of Rick Root's career. And my favorite part about Rick, not my favorite part, but one of the, my favorite things I love about Rick Root, little factoid is, is he is the only guy mm-hmm. that was on WCW Nitro, WWF Raw is War, and ECW Hardcore TV within a span of a week. Yes, and he was the first man to be on WCW Monday Nitro and Monday Night Raw on the, at the same time. At the same time. Yeah, yeah. He was on the ECW TV yeah. like later on the week, but on the because Raw was taped in those days, yeah. he ended up leaving the company after the taping. So literally on the same night, he's with DX and then with the NWO. Well, only person in history. And if anyone could do it, Rick Rude. Uh, but, yes. Uh, and also, Rick Rude, former, uh, was a world uh, arm wrestling champion. Uh, the urban legend was... Or, well, that, now you're just laying it on. <laughs> urban legend was, you know, you, you speak of the, the legend, he could wrestle, he would arm wrestle both of the Road Warriors with either hand, and both neither of the Road Warriors could get his arms. Get, get <laughs> and nobody arms would out. have a thing to say about it. <laughs> no. And he, uh, one was even Hawk, you know, Rude even asked Hawk to Told Hawk he could use both hands to tie to try to put Root's arm down, and he couldn't do it. <laughs> that dude was cut, man. Yes. That dude was amazing looking. I'll say it. And, and Everything and, below the neck, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and a legitimate tough guy. You know, yeah. uh, when he was in uh, Florida, he and Wahoo got into a dust up, and Wahoo backed down. And Wahoo was one of the toughest guys. He's Wahoo was in the Harley race mode of just tough SOBs, but didn't want any part of Rick Root. And uh, there was the uh, center stage uh, uh, dust up he had with PN News where uh, Rude knocked him out with an open hand slap. GM Spectre says Rick Rude and Manny Fernandez were great as a tag team. Uh, yeah. Uh, Rick Rude, early 90s WCW run was awesome. We talked about that. Yeah. Yeah, please watch the YouTube version. We talk about that extensively. But uh, GM Spectre says late, but just in time for the history lesson. Yes, just in time for the history. Welcome, GM Spectre. Um, now, I know this particular date takes place uh, tomorrow. Uh, we're taping this on May the 5th, Cinco de Mayo, uh, the Revenge of the 5th. But uh, I have to include this in the wrestling story just because this date is very historic. And I don't want to wait till next week to talk oh, about good. it. Uh, so this all this happened on May 6th, okay? May 6th, 1984, the first parade of champions at Texas Stadium. Mm-hmm. 43,517, uh, we're three months uh, after the uh, the death of David Von Erich. This, this will be the first David Von Erich parade of champions. Um and at this point, the largest crowd ever to see a professional wrestling match 
anywhere in the United States. Uh, like I said, 43,000 in Texas Stadium. Uh, Ric Flair defended the NWA Heavyweight Championship against Kerry Von Erich. Kerry uh, wearing a robe that said, in, in memory of David, wearing David Von Erich's trunks. And uh, defeated Ric Flair for the long, you know, awaited NWA Heavyweight Championship for the family. Uh, incredibly emotional win, incredibly hot day. Uh, I talked about this match uh, quite a bit, uh, how historic it was in professional wrestling and in Texas wrestling and uh, just in the Von Erich uh, legacy. But May 6, 1984, Kerry Von Erich defeats Ric Flair for the NWA Heavyweight Championship. Um, just a, a, a great day. I won't get into to the specifics of the uh, the match ending. Uh, made that very uh, yes. Go into the I'm, no. Okay. He, listen, he won it with a backslide. Yeah, only because Kerry uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Von Erich, great guy. Uh, Ric Flair loved him. Jerry Lawler loved him. Uh, Ric Flair and Jerry Lawler, two very different people, uh, but both said the exact same thing about Kerry Von Erich. Great guy, but don't remember a time when they talked to him where he wasn't impaired. He had a drug addiction issue that ultimately led to his suicide. Yes. Both, uh, both, both, both literally and consequence-wise. Yeah, both his career and his life. And uh, if he had not been on drugs, Microsoft, uh, Microsoft, motorcycle <laughs> accident or not, he would have been bigger than just a B guy as the Texas Tornado in the WWF. Because I really feel, I know David Von Erich was supposed to be the guy, and I'm not going to argue with that because I've seen those matches. Totally get it. But Kerry, Kerry had it, man. Kerry had the charisma. He had the body. You know, Kevin was the best athlete. David had the best wrestling mind and mindset and was a complete wrestler. But Kerry had it. Greek God, uh, it. Um, and I've told this on this on the Wrestling Historian and on this HIAC podcast. Uh, in the what-if scenario, if, if Hulk Hogan had never come to the WWF and Vince had bought the company and wanted to go national – Kerry Von Erich was on the short list of guys that he wanted to bring in to uh, to, to go national. Um, obviously, the second point was the first wasn't going to sell out. That was one of the conditions that you know that Vince buy world class or bring Kerry in um, as his WWF heavyweight champion because he checked all the boxes. Um, as far as if you were going to have a Hulk Hogan type, Kerry Von Erich was. You know, would be the guy. Uh, but like I said at an earlier point, it was always impaired, so much so that their conversations backstage and Flair with someone, you know, it, when you see the Randy Savage uh, A&E biography, to go back to this just one time, they talked about the Ricky Steamboat uh, match that they had. And even Hogan made a point of this. And this one of the few things I do believe about Hulk Hogan that Savage would call him up at three in the morning to go over a finish that they were going to for a match they were going to have, and he would he would you know and Hogan's like it's three o'clock in the morning and Savage is like dude you care about this as much as I do with Rand, with Ricky Steamboat they had every single one of their moves already had a number assigned to them so they would qu- and they would quiz each other okay Randy fifty seven move fifty seven what do we do 
Uh, that's a drop down, you know, step over. Okay. Oh, a 38 with that backdrop or into an arm drag or something. They had that old thing, you know, called 160 moves for, for their match in WrestleMania 3. Flair was somewhat, and that's why, and nothing against Flair, I mean, uh, Steamboat and Savage, which is an all-time classic. But what made Flair and Steamboat matches classic, because they would spend maybe a minute talking about it beforehand, because Flair never liked to go over his matches. Maybe a finish, if a finish needs to be changed, but that was it. And he and Steamboat were so organic, and Steamboat, they both were so damn good, he didn't need to do a lot of talking with them. They could just go. But with Kerry Von Erich, Flair had to go over the endings with him pretty much every match uh, to the point where, okay, uh, so we're we doing it. Okay, got it. All right, one more time. You got it. Okay. Cool. Uh, Rick, Rick, what was the ending? What were we doing? Okay, I got it. 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 Wait, now oh, what? Yeah. One more <laughs> But literally, that would be it. So for this match at Texas Stadium, 43,000 people, he said, Carrie, we're going in with a backslide. Because in Flair's words and Flair's book, even he couldn't mess that up. So that's how the ending came. And that Ric Flair, who's kicked out of every single finishing hold in the history of professional wrestling. He's kicked out of Jake Roberts' DDT. He's kicked out of Magnum T.A.'s belly-to-back suplex. He's kicked out of the bionic elbow by Dusty Rhodes. But... He lost to a backslide to Kerry Von Erich, May 6, 1984. But on that same day, Dan, while that was going on in Texas, in Atlanta, King Kong Bundy and the Masked Superstar defeated the Road Warriors for the National Tag Team Championship. The unbeaten Road Warriors, Masked Superstar and King Kong Bundy, defeated them for the National Tag Team Champions. Why, you may ask, it's curious. Well, on that same day, Dan, May 6, 1984, while that was happening in Atlanta, in Green Bay, Wisconsin, Crusher and Baron Von Raschke defeated the Sheiks, Ken Vatera and Crusher Blackwell, for the AWA Tag Team Champions. And that the, the loss of the Road Warriors for the National Tag Team Champions set them free to go to the AWA where they would become the eventual AWA Tag Team Champions. So the NWA Tag Team title changed hands. The AWA Tag Team title changed hands. And Jim Crockett had three different shows that day, May 6, 1984. In Savannah, Georgia, uh, Tully Blanchard took on Pez Watley, and handsome Jimmy Valiant took on Exotic Adrian Street. In Asheville, North Carolina, Wahoo McDaniel and Mark Youngblood, the NWA Tag Team Champions, defeated the Briscoes. And in Charlotte, Jimmy Valiant took on Tully Blanchard for the TV title. And uh, Ricky Steamboat defended the United States Heavyweight Championship against Dick Slater. So on that one date, May 6, 1984, Kerry Von Erich won the NWA Heavyweight Championship in Texas Stadium. King Kong Bunny and Mass Superstar won the AWA Tag Team Titles in Atlanta. Crusher and Baron Ronarashki won the AWA. Sorry, won. No, I can get this wrong. Won the AWA. NWA. You no longer have the ability to fix it. All right, take two. So on May 6, 1984, 
Kerry Von Erich won the NWA Heavyweight Championship in Dallas, Texas. In Atlanta, King Kong Bundy and Crusher Black, well, King Kong Bundy and, and Mass Superstar, fuck, defeated the Road Warriors for the National Tag Team Championship. In Green Bay, Wisconsin, Crusher and Baron Von Rasky won the AWA Tag Team Championship. And Jim Crockett ran three different shows on the same day in Savannah, Asheville, North Carolina, and Charlotte, North Carolina, May 6, 1984. Listen, to be fair, this is why I'm glad there's only three companies. <laughs> because, like, why do you say? I'm going to leave that all in because you're you're nearly perfect. You've done nothing wrong. But, boy, that's why sometimes I'm like, you know, I'm glad there's not 50 territories because I don't know what you just said. I mean, I, I do, but. And you had to, but, and Dan, back when I lived through this, okay, and I was freaking out because this is the infancy of cable TV. And I'm like, wait, what? The title changed hands? What? And all this happened in on the same day, and I wouldn't find this out later to the wrestling magazines to corroborate this. But yeah, that all that happened on the uh, on the same day, uh, May sixth, nineteen eighty four. And stopping with that, on also on May sixth, uh, one of the plugs I wanted to give to our fans here of uh, HIAC Talk Radio and the Wrestling Historian is that Season 3 of Dark Side of the Ring premieres tomorrow, uh, where we uh, the first episode will be one of those guys I, I wanted to, um, I, I said people that I want to see a biography of, and I mentioned Rick Rude and Ricky Steamboat. Well, one of those guys is actually getting a treatment, and that is the great Brian Pillman. Uh, but one of the episodes that they're going to talk about on this season of Dark Side of the Ring also happened on May 6th. And this happened May 6, 2002, was The Flight from Hell. Is that getting an episode? That is getting oh an episode. Oh, my God. Yes. See, uh, there might be twists from certain individuals on these Dark Side of the Ring episodes, but this is not going to get revisionist history. No. And what I like best about this, even though it's called Dark Side of the Ring, Dan, I think this is the only episode where no one dies where they're not talking about someone's premature death. Hey, we don't know. We don't know that a uh, a flight attendant didn't die. Yeah, but for all we know, most of them, all the major participants are still alive. How many of them will tell their side of the story? Sure, I don't yeah. know. But who's in there? But this, <laughs> this dark side of the ring is just pretty. It's just offbeat shenanigans and unruly hijinks at thirty-five thousand feet. But uh, but the flight from hell took place May sixth. 2002. And that, gentlemen and ladies, has been the Wrestling Historian. And you can follow me for more historical footnotes on not just on Secret DeMaio, but any DeMaio on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter at Craigligons. C R A I G L I G B O N S. Yes, you can follow me on Twitter and all social media platforms at DanLaw83, YouTube.com. If you're watching this on YouTube, Go to Twitch. And if you're on Twitch, go to YouTube. Just look up DanLaw83. Our podcast, if you want to listen to it, go to VOCNation.com or on your phone. Go to all your podcast apps or just Spotify. Type of VOC Nation Radio Network and find all the episodes there. I am the above average comedian, Dan Cosmico. And for Craig Legons, we will see you next week. Good night, everybody. Thank you.
This is Matt Hardy, and you are listening to the VOC Nation. Rock and Roll Union and North Step Productions, in conjunction with Boo Ray Atlantic City, proudly present Jersey Shore Jam 2, May 15th, featuring As We Become Ghosts and Rat Dog. It's been a long, cold winter, and now it's time to rock. Also appearing, the Rock and Roll Union house band, Shades of Grey, playing all of your favorites from the 60s to now. All COVID regulations will be in place. Tickets are available at eventbrite.com and are extremely limited, so get them before they run out. Doors open at 6 and showtime is at 7. Rat Rod, As We Become Ghosts, and Shades of Grey. Jersey Shore Jam 2, May 15th at Blu-ray, 201 South New York Avenue, Atlantic City. Did I mention there's free parking? Don't miss it. Rock and Roll Union for the past two years has been the place for rock and roll, new rock and roll, debuting rock and roll, and some of the old classics as well. We have welcomed guests from around the world, national artists, and more. We have excited many people by our live events. We've welcomed everybody into the fold, and we continue to do so on a weekly basis. Guys, that is Rock and Roll Union, and that is what we do for you. Saturdays, 6 p.m. Eastern, VOCNation.com. Since 2012, HIAC Talk Radio has been bringing you the best of independent wrestling and wrestling on the worldwide scale with interviews and other segments now featuring the Wrestling Historian with Craig Legon every Thursday night at 6 p.m. at VOCNation.com or go to your Android or iPhone and type in VOC Nation Radio Network and subscribe to the greatest wrestling podcast network in the world. Listen to HIAC Wrestling Podcast today. VOC Nation provides live daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with the hosts and guests by phone call, email, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include the legendary Ken Resnick, who you probably remember from the AWA and WWE, former WCW performer The Maestro, Wes Briscoe, who you probably remember from Impact. Brady Hicks, who you remember from Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez. And former Philly radio personality Bruce Wirt. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling with History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirt, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern. And, of course, In the Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro. And, by the way, both of these shows take callers live during the show. What are you waiting for? Go listen live right now at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching for VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Oh, and follow them on Twitter, too, at VOC Nation. Hola, this is your amiga, Shelly from Cali. To let you know, you can catch me here on VOC Nation for Shelly Live. You never know what the hell I'm going to be talking about. Sometimes I have guests. Sometimes I let you on in the cheese mess, spill a little tea. Sometimes I cry. You have to tune in to find out why. And I also take your calls. I love chatting with you guys and seeing what the hell you guys are thinking. So meet me here on the VOC Nation. Be there or be square. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network.